Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. And then also, this is where everybody shows up dressed in their, what they got for Christmas. And so it's like a little fashion show in the lobby. And so how many of you guys are wearing stuff that you got for Christmas? Uh, as long as it's underwear, don't show it off or show it off. Go ahead. And uh, as long as it's not underwear is what I meant to say. Uh, <laughs> thanks for those of you watching online, catching this on the live stream or on replay. We're glad that you're here uh, as well. And today, if you are a guest with us, you picked a great day to come check us out. We are launching a brand new teaching series called Known. Uh, it's a series on community. It's a new year, new series. Uh, feels like a good place to start. Feels like a good uh, entry point into all of this. And so for the past few years, the first series of the year has been kind of what we call like a tone series for us, uh, where we begin to set the tone for what maybe the entire year or a focus of the, of the year is going to be. It's kind of like if you've ever shown up for one of those middle school orchestras and the guy steps up in front and does this whole thing and then he points to one person. Usually it's like the best kid in the band to play one note. I just need you to play a middle C, buddy. And he plays a middle C and then the rest of the band is su- supposed to kind of come along. And it, I, again, I mentioned middle school orchestra. And so you know in the next about five seconds what the next 30 minutes of your life is gonna look like based on their ability to kind of tone themselves to that middle C. Uh, and it's usually not great just to, just to, if you haven't been in a while. Um, and uh, that's, that's what it feels like. It, so this is, uh, this is the note that I, I want us to try and play this year. We're going to kind of preface the series and say, here's, I don't do resolutions necessarily, but I do try and say, I want to have a better focus on this and be more intentional uh, about this. And based on the fact that I'm the primary teacher and communicator here at the church, by, by like natural default, then this becomes a little bit of the flavor uh, of the church as well. In the years past, uh, we've done things like baptism. We, we said the baptism is going to be a big deal for us one year. This is like three or four years ago. We'd said that in our church, we had felt like in that season, there were a lot of people who had kind of crossed the line of faith in terms of what they believe, but we didn't have a great expression for um, making it a public statement about it. You know, it was confusing about what do I do now? Is there t-shirts I'm supposed to wear? Are there bumper stickers I'm supposed to replace? How does this work? In in water and in a public setting through people who know you and um, are there to support you. And, and so we, we said one year, we're going to like, that's going to be our focus. And I think that year we baptized like 20 something odd people in, in terms of over the, the, and every week that we do it, it's like this with a fill up a tank and the band has to play an extra song. It just became a lot. And so anyways, it was, it was a tough year. And then the next year the band was like, Hey, could we do like everyone drinks coffee? What if that was our focus this year? It was like really good coffee. And so um, and then last year, last year, if you remember, uh, and you were here, uh, our, our thing was find your people, grow spiritually, uh, and make a difference in the world. And over the course of 12 months, you probably heard me kind of say maybe a few of those phrases and intersperse them, kind of like a good movie that takes a song from the very beginning and kind of redoes it and inserts it all over in the play. If you saw Wonka recently, they, they do this exceptionally well, um, and it's kind of replayed, but in a, in a different way. That's that's kind of what the purpose of of this is going to be. So uh, that's why I think you picked a great day to come check it out. So um, the question that we ask perennially is uh, one that basically is a is a kind of a uh, evergreen question for us as a community. Is what we feel like a church should be about is what does it look like to live in the way of Jesus here 
today, contextually, in the time frame that we're at, in the, in the place that we're in, we take the Bible, um, which is a, uh, a a static text in terms of every time that I say, you know, Psalm chapter 46, verse 17, we all know kind of where that's at. But then we take that piece of it and we kind of, on, on one hand, and on the other hand, we hold the news of, of today and the culture that we live in, the way that the world operates and the things that we, uh, the, the places that we find ourselves in and the circumstances of life, the seasons of life that we find ourselves in. Now we're parents, now we're grandparents, now we're working, now we're retired, now we're this. And we say, what, how do these two things work together? How do I live in a way of Jesus? How do I live in a unique way that he lived? If we believe that he was God incarnate, if we believe that in his divinity status, and we believe that he taught a certain way of doing things, uh, then perhaps we should listen when he says, this is the best way to do life. And so what does that mean? And what does that look like? That's the role of the church. That's why the church continues to exist. That's why the church didn't shut the doors. A couple things uh, change as well. So we are in active living community trying to navigate through that uh, together for us in the context of the Tri-Cities, living in the Tri-Cities uh, in 2024. And that's the invitation that you have if you're kind of new to the whole church thing, you made a resolution like, I'm going to get in church this year. Um, that's great. This is what we're about. I'll try and give you, I'll try and intersperse as many things as I can to help you get an educated guess as to whether or not this will be a great fit uh, for you through some of those things. Uh, and so this year, the tone for us, I know you all have been sitting on pins and needles waiting for this year's version of what is going to be our tone, what is going to be our tune. If it's the anticipation has been affecting your sleep patterns over Christmas break, I apologize. I don't want to make you wait any further or any longer, uh, so here we go. Um, I have been reading, many uh, like you, uh, about how the world is changing and how have things changed and how are they changing? And one of the topic, common topics in contemporary thought right now, based on you know journals that you read or articles or newspapers uh, or, or news articles that get shared on your social feeds or whatever newspapers, you don't read the newspaper anymore. What am I talking about? Times have changed, Brent, get with it. All right. Uh, the things that you read about, one of the hot button topics, the fun things is this idea of AI, right? Artificial intelligence. And the question then becomes a lot of times, how does AI affect me? And then after you read an article like this, then the question becomes this, does AI make me unemployable? And then the more articles that you read about making you unemployable, the right question is how soon will AI make me unemployable? That's the question that we should sort of all be asking. And so confession, though this talk has been around for years and AI has been sort of a fringe sci-fi sort of thing. We all imagined, you know, we all, in my era, we grew up watching the Jetsons. We're like flying cars. That's like 2000, year 2000, right? Then year 2000 comes and still not flying cars, that we have Teslas. You know, we, we kind of put that into like this sort of, this category of whimsy, right? This I idea of AI having any sort of meaningful place in our life through this idea of whimsy, a void of actual substance or meaning. Fun to tinker with, but like maybe that's it. And, and so, and, and, for, and that's where I've been. And so for you, if, if I say, all right, the next thing, the next category, the next season is gonna be, you know, our tone is gonna be central around this idea of the integration of AI or whatever, you're gonna be like, for, for some of you, I would get it. I, if I'm in your spot, I'm pulling out my phone, checking fantasy football too. I get it. And by the way, you you lost, you're out. It doesn't matter anymore, right? Uh, so that we're, we're past that. But I, I understand that. But my wife recently started teaching uh, in a long-term supposition at Pasco High. And uh, she is getting, we talked about this like over Christmas break, she's getting papers turned in with vocabulary that clearly doesn't match up the language of the student involved in this. And she has to look at them and be like, listen, 
we both know you didn't write this. You've never used henceforth in your life. You don't even know what henceforth means. Henceforth, you'll be writing your papers by hand without the use of screens in this classroom to make sure. And they're like, okay, because they don't even know what they agreed to. Because again, you don't know what henceforth means. So anyways, that's the problem that, we're, that we find ourselves in. In this new era, access to the right information has never been easier. Whether it's chat, GPT, access, you know, Wikipedia or whatever, like your problem in life is not going to be access to quote unquote the truth. It's going to be the definition of what is the truth, the interpretation of it, and the synthesis of it in life. But access to information you have more access to information in the phone and in, it's inside of your pocket right now than for generations we've had with supercomputers and the most, you know, millions and billions of dollars. I mean, this is unbelievable. And in these articles, it talks about, this is the, it's a mouthful. Anyways, blah, blah, blah. Any, any, AR, any AI article, that's a mouthful. Anyways, blah, blah, uh, Always talks about access isn't the problem, right? And yet, in spite of access, things still remain broken, broken, and solving one problem only uncovers new problems. And, uh, and that makes sense. So we go over here and fix this thing. Um, and in this article that I read recently, here, here's the quote that I came across. Artificial intelligence is going to do many things for us in the decades ahead and replace humans at many tasks. But one thing it will never be able to do is to create person-to-person -person connections. If you want to thrive in the age of AI you better become exceptionally good at connecting with others. If you want to thrive in what the world is rotating to, you better be good at connecting with others, which is great and kind of common sense. And okay, I, it's not what I came here for today, Brent, but that, thank you, you know? Here's what this means for me, which isn't as, as important to you as what it means for you, but nevertheless, I have the microphone, so I get to go first. My... Your ability to access content, better content than what you could find here on a Sunday has never been easier. Did you know, and I shouldn't be telling you this, but you can listen to master storytellers and master communicators from an app, the same exact app that I tell you you should download, but in our, this is our version of it, but there are better apps out there. Did you know that? And that's not a slight on Eric who runs our app. I'm just telling you. Eric can only do so much with what he's been given, and there are better ones out there for you to listen to. Pastors who are smarter than I am, funnier than I am, believe it or not, better looking than I am. It's unbelievable. More in line with all of the things that you believe and value that I might not match up as well with. The odds of me being exactly what you need and exactly what you're looking for in a pastor, spiritual uh, communicator or uh, leader or whatever are like almost zero. You know what I mean? Like it just, th there's so much better matches out there. Your access to different things is so much better. I did a funeral here yesterday uh, for somebody who had cancer things and some recovery. And because of that, he couldn't do large crowds and then COVID happened. So then there was all that kind of stuff. So I hadn't seen him in a while, but he had been on my list. I had in my, in my calendar uh, every month on like the second Thursday of the month was a reminder to check in with Ken Webb and here was his phone number. And I'd call him and check in with him and just say, Ken, how you doing? And he, he had bone marrow transplant, which like takes you within an inch of your life and then brings you back kind of thing. And early on it was a, it was a struggle and then he got better and better. And finally, 
I just felt like I was being annoying in my phone calls because I called him like, Ken, how are you? And he's like, Brent, I'm doing just fine. Could you quit calling me? And I said, I can, I'm just checking in on you. Just got to do my job. You know, he's your pastor, that kind of thing. Uh, and, uh, and so finally he was doing great. And then all of a sudden uh, on November or December 7th, it came back with a vengeance and he was gone by December 22nd. So anyways, his funeral uh, was, was here and his wife sat in that chair right there. And I'm, I'm doing the, 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 the and I, I knew I knew them and I had met some of the family just through the, the funeral prep. But for the most part, I did not know the 200 other people that were in the auditorium that day. And yet he grew up in Richland. This is where he like went to go see movies as a kid. And a lot of them, and we heard that phrase that we always hear, I watched Star Wars here a hundred times. Oh, Star Wars, really? Okay. Uh, and, uh, and then I went out in the lobby after the service and somebody came up and, and shook my hand and, um, and said, oh, you did such a great job, right? And she just kept going on. And I was like, wow, this is embarrassing. And I feel bad about bringing this up in here, but she just kept saying, going on and I'm droning on and on, uh, bragging about myself. So, um, and then uh, she goes, I did not know that Ken went to church. And I said, well, yeah, he came for like a year and then he got, the, you know, you guys know the sickness thing. And, and, and she goes, tell me about your church. And her husband's there too. And I said, well, you know, we meet in this theater and what, what denomination are you? We're non-denominational. Are you Bible believing? Right. And started using some of the code words to be like, um, oh yes, I talk about, we love the Bible. I love the Bible. I, I studied, I got my master's degree studying this kind of thing. Right. I love the life that it is. I love reading it and this kind of, so I'm, I'm, I'm playing along for a little bit and doing this thing. And he goes, and they go, what's your vision statement? That's, that's when I knew like, oh man, okay, here we go. This is, uh, this is somebody who's, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just the unique perspective on church. What's your vision? Nobody, no, nobody that doesn't go to church asked, has ever asked me before, what's your vision statement as a church, right? So all of a sudden I know which category that I'm putting them into. And um, which we're gonna find out why I shouldn't do that, but that's fine. Uh, and I said, well, we're trying to be a church for people who don't typically like church. And, they, and immediately he goes, oh, right? <laughs> but he for one minute was like, maybe church. Like we would wanna be, the one that they might like, right? I said, we want to be the gateway drug of churches. As soon as I said gateway drug, he was like, I'm out. Like, I'm definitely. And yet she was still in. She was like, well, are you charismatic? Which if, if you don't know what that means, that means, are you, a, are you a little weird? Do you lean weird? And I said, no, no, we're definitely, definitely probably not that. I'm trying to save her time and me time, you know, like, probably we're not a little bit about what you're looking for. She goes, would you like to be more charismatic? I can be there Sunday. And I said, well, we have services at noon and two. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But in that, in that moment, I was trying to be like, listen, I'm, pro I'm probably not what you're looking for in this community. Is probably, and, and that's not to say that your faith isn't important in that, that vein and that we are, are better. It's just like, it's not gonna be the right fit. Like there's better content out there for you, there's better alignment in, in other places with all of this. And, and that's, you know, a question that, that I, I understand. I'm trying to help them out and, and do the thing. So uh, anyways, in, in light of, of, of this AI piece, like, listen, you didn't come here for vocational coaching about like what you should do in this new era in the world that we live in. But my guess is that you should brush up on your interpersonal skills if you want to put time into something that's going to provide value for you in this new world. Uh, and so... I realized in that moment that what I cannot, it would be futile for me and a waste of both of our times for me to try and live into making this a 
church and, and me as a pastor, one that fits the content needs that you have. I can't do that because the access is greater than ever before. But what a church could and perhaps should and the opportunity that presents itself as we solve one problem and figure out another is the ability to know and to be known. That um, I can do something, I can create something or help create something with you here uh, uh, that somebody like that in an app or in a distant setting cannot do, which is um, know people who are gonna be making you coffee, watching your kids, welcoming you and saying, hi, glad, great to see you. We missed you when you're gone. Glad when you, when you see you when you're here and miss you when you're gone. Like that's the kind of thing, that's the avenue that I think the church can fit. That's where I feel like we still have room to grow that I don't know that we do that great and that's why we're gonna do this series, but that's, that would be fruitful for our, our, ourselves. And for you as a person too, listen, if you're not like religious in this, I'm gonna about to go into like a Jesus part of this story. And if you filter that out, cause you're like, I'm not sure where I stand on all of that. Like, listen, for you in your line of work, in whatever it is that you do, I don't think it would be a waste of your time to brush up on the interpersonal get to know, to know and to be known, to be a better person at knowing people, to be somebody who, as one author put it that I read this week, is, is known as lingerable. People want to linger with you. They want to sit by a fire with you. They want to drink wine with you. They want to go out to dinner with you. They want to be with you on vacation because you make them feel known. And, you, and they feel known by you and they know a little bit about you too. I don't, I don't think that's gonna be bad for you moving forward. I think it's gonna only be more helpful. And if we can be, and you can be a parent, for those of you who are parents of kids, who raise kids who are good at knowing people. Listen, you can play with them. You can, you know, you can do the online gaming thing with them, but you will know them more than just their Fortnite profile name, okay? You will know kids. They will be known by you and they will know you. I, I think that that's a helpful thing. And one that I see since this is a church, modeled exceptionally well by Jesus, who had a certain way with people in knowing them and being known by them. Specifically this morning, I wanna look at a passage that shows up in a story uh, that Mark tells us. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we know them as the four gospel writers, uh, each of them four individuals who had unique perspectives on the person and the teaching uh, of Jesus um, who wrote for different reasons. Mark, historically, we believe was the first one to kind of write his things down and put it down on paper. And the reason why we believe that is because Matthew and Luke both borrow material from Mark and kind of expand on it in their own way. Sometimes they're all three of them together. And then, uh, but sometimes it's like Mark does his own thing. Mark typically too is the briefest of the gospel writers. So when a story is told about what happened, where Matthew and Luke might take 150 words to tell the story, Mark takes 60, you know what I mean? And you have this with your kids, right? You send two kids to the store or on a bike ride to a little you know, mini mart or whatever. They come back and you say, how did it go? One of them's like, fine, we got there. I bought the stuff and we're back. It's fine, we got here in time. The other one's like, I hit this jump. We almost got hit by a car. I waved at some friends. Like I did all kinds of stuff. You're like, well, which one's true? They're both true. Just one embellishes the story a little bit more, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So we have that with Mark. And that is the proper way to sort of read the gospels is to be like, what is this? What is the focus of this gospel writer? 
what is he most passionate about and why does he focus so much attention on that? Or what are they biased towards? Is a great question. And when it comes to Mark, Mark is brief on everything except in the area when it comes to suffering, human suffering, both of an individual and then also of Jesus and his suffering. In fact, his gospels, <clears throat> excuse me, oftentimes known, <clears throat> wow, I got a little tickle in there, uh, is someone who as uh, Jesus modeled as the suffering servant. Jesus is someone who suffers, who gave his life uh, and the suffering is highlighted for the, for the sake of somebody else. So individuals in Mark's gospel are, are, when it comes to suffering, they're elaborated on in how much they suffered. And then the depth that with Jesus went to, to kind of uh, combat that and to be and to identify with that. It's almost as if Mark is, uh, is right, knows his audience are people who suffer and he wants them to know that there's a God who cares about them, who also suffers with them. That's the way to read Mark. And you're going to see this in this story because Luke also contains this story, but maybe you've read this before, I've heard this before, but you've never heard it with the depth that's going to be involved in this. Matthew chapter or Mark, excuse me, chapter five, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, that's going to be a big deal, right? Synagogue is the, that would be their, their temple or their, um, their little house of worship at that time. And he's a leader in that. So he's, he's well-known. He's going to be a position of authority. He's going to be a position of somebody who has quote unquote, like cultural power um, um, and access and, and somebody who's looked up on highly in that way. Named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. This is what exactly what um, Pharisees and religious leaders at that time didn't do. They were typically cast in all of the gospels as anti the mission of Jesus. Why? Because they're trying to lead people back into fidelity with the, you know, with the Jewish faith. And Jesus is supposedly doing the same thing too, but people tend to like Jesus more than they liked what the rabbis and, and the Pharisees were doing. So therefore, when you have something and somebody else is doing the exact same thing as you, but they're more successful than you, you typically aren't, don't look too fondly at them, right? And so for him at this moment, to fall at his feet, to subject himself to this, to come not as a peer, but as someone who's looking for something. Mark is trying to kind of portray why would anybody do something like this? And immediately we're given the plot device as to why. He pleaded with his earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Come, please come put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And there we go. Then the light turns on for us because we've all read the character to do something extreme. Why would they, what's, why would they do something so extreme? Why would they uh, uh, respond so in such a unique way that tells such an, uh, like a gripping story? Because they're watching their child about to die and a parent who's watching their child about to die will do just about anything to save their child. It justifies the action, helps make time suffering this way. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed him, pressed around him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And that's then where uh, um, Luke, excuse me, stops in the description of this woman. So he, he mentions her and he mentions this story, but like, that's about it. She'd been bleeding for about 12 years and 12 years is a long time. If you've ever been sick with something, you know that 12 days is a long time. I get about 12 hours grace with my wife for being sick. For 12 hours, she's like, I'm so sorry that you're feeling this way. Can I get you some soup? Can I get you some tea? After about 12 hours, it's like, I really need you to be a little bit more productive around it. Like, like I, I'm trying so hard. 12 days, I can't even imagine. I, I, I did, I was in a car accident a few years ago. 12 days was about the time and she was a trooper and she, she did great. And it was even longer than 12 days, but, um, but like 12 years at that point, you're beyond like pity and grace. And I'm, I feel so bad for you. Now you're like, 
now we don't talk about it and you just feel like kind of a little bit of a drain on this relationship. That would be impossible to not feel after 12 years of inability to operate in your fullness as a human, um, to not have that affect some of your psyche and not, uh, not see this as I am, an, I am an invalid, this is who I am. And that people who are around me um, put up with me. And I, I don't bring things into the relationship. I drain things from the relationship. And, and, and whether that, that's true or not, that's no question how she feels in this. She, and then he goes on. He illustrates it in this way. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. So now she's also poor. So now she's got all kinds of suffering. She's had hope that my money can be exchanged for some sort of a healing and that fell through. Yet instead of getting better, she grows worse. So any glimmers of hope, any glimmers of something to come along, any glimmers of things are gonna get better soon are now gone. And for 12 years, she's held out hope. And imagine at that point, you, you, you're kind of like burnt out on about everything. And I, I, I feel like I'm a drain on every relationship that I'm a part of. I don't have any more resources to try and do this. And even if I did have any more resources, I've had 12 years of, tell, of people telling me, give me a little money and I'll help you. Not work. That's the status of which the character that we find ourselves in, that Mark goes into great detail with great intentionality so that we can feel the essence of what it means to suffer in the way that she has suffered. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And in that moment, what Mark is trying to reveal is that there's a little bit of a spark of hope once again. Because probably for 12 years, she thought, if I just give them this money, I'll be fine. If I just do this, if I just do this. And at 12 years, I don't know, after two years, you're probably like, I just don't believe anything anymore. I kind of live without this hope. And yet hope has not completely left her because she's convinced herself or she's heard a little voice or she's following something in her conscience that says, I shouldn't be out of hope quite completely yet. If I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And then at that point, in this point in the story, then like what happens next? If this was like a choose your own adventure and you could say, if you believe that she left and like, you know, went on, turn to page 24, if you believe that she screamed for joy or whatever, like what, how do you think that she responds in this way? What would be the appropriate response or something like this. Imagine, imagine this big crowd of people she touches and then she says, she got what she came for. So what does she do next? What happens next? At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And I don't even know what this means and how he, he knows this or whatever, but he turns around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask who touched me? Like, who didn't touch you? You're, you're being touched. That's what it, it's like to be famous and, and uh, being a part of a, a crowd like this. But Jesus kept, somebody had reached out in a way that wanted to be known, that wanted to be healed. But also there was something else there and he refused to kind of let it go. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Your faith has healed you, 
go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I love this story. I've been r- ruminating on this story for a couple of weeks, knowing that we were gonna talk about it in this in this series, because I, I love what Jesus has done here in, in a crowd of people where people are clamoring just to get near him and hear him talk and, and rabbi leader. I mean, you know, cultural icons are coming to him, begging him uh, for help with their daughter. And he's responding this way. He pauses in the midst of all of that chaos to have a conversation with somebody who probably lived her life feeling like she'd been forgotten, overlooked, not really known in, in, in any way, in, in a sense, the only thing that she was known for her was for her invalidity. Her, 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 her inability to operate normally, right? To be somebody who's seen as somebody who's a productive member of society and helpful in relationships and good to have around and beneficial, able to provide, able to kind of push her weight around and, and, and do some things, be productive in society. She doesn't feel like that at all. And yet he pauses and makes sure that she feels known. And he looks at her and he says, daughter, your faith, that little hope, the hope that you operated, that you leaned into, has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus was a master at known and being known and knowing people and making people feel like they were known by him. And I think that Mark reckoned, I think that all the the gospel writers would would say this about Jesus. Like he had this way of of looking at people and people who had nothing to offer him. And it's it's like this weird thing that we we all want people to know us. And sometimes we want people who uh, are on the next level of us or famous or this, if they just knew me, they would like me, right? And Jesus, and, and you know, you go through life and you get old enough, you're like, I don't, I just know, I, I have my group. I, I get known by these, these few people and, and I'm fine with that. And I, I'm, I'm settled enough to know that this is my circle of people who are known by me and, and known by me and who know me. But Jesus was always just somebody who, People who were nothing like him liked him. For what reason? Why? They felt known by him. So a guy named David Brooks. He's an author, New York Times, kind of a conservative op-ed writer. But he wrote an, a new book that I've been using as kind of a springboard for this series um, called How to Know a Person. And then he says, a skill worth attaining is this. And, and specifically in the area of the way that the world is changing through AI and all that kind of stuff. The ability to see somebody else deeply and make them feel seen, to accurately know, accurately know another person, to let them feel valued, heard, and understood. That is a, a skill worth attaining. A few years ago, we, um, <clears throat> we were looking at our Wear Love uh, sort of strategy. Uh, uh, Wear Love for us is our branch of outreach into the community. We, we feel like we've got what we do on Sundays, how we run our theater is kind of a cultural thing in our, in our area and arts stuff. And then our wear love pieces, our outreach arm into the community of how we interact with nonprofits and how we use um, uh, our skills, not just for ourselves and not just to kind of help the church out, but also the, the community. We want to bless the community that we're, we're in. We want to, we've been blessed to be a blessing. And so um, in an effort to help connect people to recognizing what it looks like to wear love in their life and what season that they're in, we created this little curriculum called Basecamp. We base it on these mountaintop things that you go to. It's a four-week course, and we'll do one sometime in the, in the spring or something like that. You'll, we'll invite you to. We'll get more information out there about it. But four weeks, trying to discern who God made you to be and what your skill sets are and what you, what you bring to the table in terms of wearing love and how a good fit might work out there. And one of the pillars of this, of this thing that we said, we're going to, here's, here's the, like the foundational pillar of thought as to why this is important for us. 
comes from a quote by a guy named George Bernard Shaw that we saw that said this, the, wor- the worst sin towards our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That's the essence of unhumanity. That the reason that we're called to do this is not on that, beyond, and today, Green Bay fans, but beyond that, like you don't hate people, but hating is so obvious. And, and as a culture, we, there's a lot of safe language out there about there's no hate here. We don't hate, right? And we can all, nobody's like, ah, I like a little bit of hate. Nobody says that, right? You know what I mean? The issue is not hate as much as it is indifference to people in general. Like, we just don't care. And, and that's, that's really, the, that's the essence of unhumanity. It's not necessarily hatred as much as it is just indifference to them. How do we resolve that? How do we do better than that? How do, how, because that's not the model. That's not what we see modeled in Jesus, not indifference, the opposite of that. He aggressively goes to know people exactly where they are in spite of themselves oftentimes, in, in, in no matter what they were and no matter who they are. There's a, an, um, one of the famous Russian novels, there's an era in like literature where Dostoevsky, Leo Tolstoy, Joseph Conrad, all these kind of, like these Roman novelists wrote incredibly well about the human condition. And they wrote like books, like he, Tolstoy wrote War and Peace and Anna Karenina. These are like 1,200 page stories about like four characters. You, you like movies that have character development? You've never seen anything like this, guys. Like this is character development at its peak, at its most extreme, by the way, to which it was like, okay, let's back it off a little bit from that. You know what I mean? Uh, but what's what that era is known for is they knew about the human condition and how the mind thinks in deeper and oftentimes darker ways than we can ever imagine. Uh, and so, and, and so that was what was so powerful about their writings, not that you have to go read them or do that, but one of the, one of the, one of the most common of the human condition that the delusions is that every man can be qualified in some particular way, said to be kind, wicked, stupid, energetic, apathetic, and so on. People are not like that. We may say of a man that he is more often kind than cruel, more often wise than stupid, more often energetic than apathetic or vice versa, but it could never be true to say of one man that he is kind or wise and of another man that he's wicked or stupid, yet we are always classifying mankind in this way and it is wrong. Human beings are like rivers. The water is one and the same in all of them, but every river is narrow in some places, flows swifter in others. Here it is broad, they're still or, uh, they're still or clear or cold or muddy or warm. It's the same with men. Every man bears within him the germs of every human quality and now manifests one and now another. And frequently he is quite unlike himself while still remaining the same man. What does all of that mean? It means that we are fickle creatures, aren't we? Are you good? Yeah. Well, most of the time. Are you smart? Oh, yeah. Than most, yeah. We're smarter than most. Except that one time I, I financed this stupid thing. I couldn't believe it. I, like, ridiculous. Are you, are you, are you generous-ish? Yeah. Are you wise? Except for college, I would say wisdom has been one of my qualities, yes. 
Are you like, we're just, we're kind of all over the place in this way, right? Like that's what it means a little bit to be human. So unfortunately, oftentimes what we do is we categorize people into things and we, we create these static images of what we, when, when somebody tells you who they are, just believe them. When they, when they say what they are, they act out what they are, then just believe them. We don't really know them in that way. We, 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 we kind of simplify things to kind of get these things going because we ignore what it means to be human. And yet, and we think sometimes like I need to be, I need to be good. I, are you good? I am good. Yes, absolutely. And, and we, we, we fail to realize being known within our complexity is part of what it means to be human. And what's beautiful about it is over and over hated people, don't we? Was David a good person, King David? I mean, yes. Well, okay. Um, there are a couple of chapters. How about Moses, Abraham? Every, Samson, I mean, Samson's an idiot. Well, except for, I mean, there's all kinds of things over and over again. What we see highlighted in this are God uh, using people, knowing people who show up and, 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 and working with them. And this thing is highlighted with people who were sometimes good and sometimes not good. So if you are living a life, it's like, I'm sometimes good and I'm sometimes not good. Then I, and, and I'm sometimes uh, religious and I'm sometimes not religious and I'm sometimes uh, wise and I'm sometimes a good parent. Are you a good parent? Yeah, most of the time. But man, two weeks is a long time for my kids to be home. It's just really, really hard. I, are you ready for school tomorrow? If you're Pasco, if you're Richland and Kennewick, you guys are, you've been free. You've been good parents for like three days, four days now. I'm a Pasco parent, man. It's been two weeks. Am I still a good parent? I'm on that fringe. I'm really close. There's a line in there. I'm ready for that bus to come tomorrow. You know, that's, that's where we're at. That life is a little bit complex. And that doesn't exclude us from what God is willing to work with. He has a history of working with those kinds of people all the time. And his desire is to know us in all of our complexity and to be known uh, by him. And not just in this vertical way, but also known with one another. And knowing people is, is, is part, when, the more that we get to know, we, the more we realize, um, I thought I knew about you, but you're like, I have a genuine curiosity about your life and who you are and, and about how you've changed from maybe when I knew you years ago. And how do I get, overcome that? How do I overcome these, this category, this box that I put you in when I knew you as a kid? I do it by knowing you and by being known by you. And so we have this opportunity. Uh, to to know, to be known, to master, a master at this and invites us into doing the same thing uh, and to be known to one another, uh, both because I think it's gonna be helpful for you practically, but I also think that there's an intersection in a big way about your faith and about how God knows us through that. So my invitation to you would be to come back and participate in this conversation about what it means to be known. Would you pray with me? Father, our prayer uh, is that you would help us navigate these Oftentimes, uncharted waters of uh, uh, of knowing that we 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 need to work on this, that we need to open ourselves up to be vulnerable, to know people, to be known by people, to challenge ourselves in in the the stereotyping or the essentialism that we've kind of categorized things, or this naive realism that we do of feeling like our perspective and the way of seeing the world is the only way that's right to see it, and ignoring what it means to be known, what, what other people are experiencing. That I, I pray that that we would would stretch ourselves in this way and that we would accurately reflect the type of uh, behavior that Jesus was known for of seeing people for where they're at, challenging them, calling them towards something good, but absolutely knowing them 
uh, in that way and making them feel like it's known. So uh, if we are going to be the church, the hands and the feet of Jesus in that, like may we be a community that's known for something like that. Give us wisdom to know what that looks like in our life with the, the relationships that we find ourselves participating in this week and the courage to do something about it in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri Cities in your favorite app store.